the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 603 for December 31st, 2017. Considering a tablet as a primary computer, more details on Apple slowing down iPhones, and another Office competitor recommendation. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and iOS for $1.99. Well, happy 2018 to everybody. Hopefully your year is off to a good start. Uh, this week, between Christmas and New Year's, historically very slow for news. And in the past, we've done year in review and predictions shows. And generally, they turn out to be a, you know, Apple will announce a new iPhone, Android will lead the way in feature innovation type of conversation. So today, we're going to do something a little bit different. So instead, uh, we're going to be talking about the future, but not in the prediction sense, rather, how we use mobile devices to work in our day-to-day lives. And uh, it used to be that the tablet was just for content consumption. And for most people, that is indeed what they do most of the time with it. But using an iPad as a primary computer is much easier now with the advancements uh, in software and uh, some of the focus that manufacturers have put on how this device is actually being used by the consumer. So For me, I've been using uh, mostly an iPad for computing purposes for the vast majority of this past year. And it's really been the iPad Pro 12.9 that's been the device that has made that possible. So not to say that I don't ever use a computer. I absolutely do, especially for tasks like recording and publishing this show every week. But I also do have a Windows computer for enterprise and business type of functions. And I spend on average between 5 and 10 hours per week actually using that computer in person. And I say in person because uh, there is a lot of the time where I actually remotely log into the computer and uh, do use that Windows machine multiple times a day outside of actually being physically in front of it to perform specific functions. We'll get into those in just a little bit. But those needs continue to be less and less as I figure out and streamline more things that I can do on the tablet interface through my workflow. So let's talk about this and break it down, starting off by talking about what are the advantages of using a tablet, specifically over a laptop or desktop. So the easy ones here, right? So it's always on. It also turns on instantly with just pressing the power button. Also, it's always connected, whether that's through the Wi-Fi connection or, of course, you can get most tablets with LTE connections in them as well. Then there's the updated piece of it. So these devices are always updated. That, of course, comes with being always on. And that means that you don't have to wait for the device to update the different things in the background uh, when you turn it on or uh, to launch an app to make them update. It's just always there. Also, much more portable and lighter, uh, about as ideal as tra- for travel as any computer that I've ever had, quite honestly. And uh, it's this portability factor that is really one of the biggest pieces for me is that I can take it anywhere and I move around a lot during the day. So it makes a lot of sense for this uh, to be one of the primary devices that I use. Uh, then using an iPad, I get two things. I get continuity for messages. So that means I can text and or iMessage with the keyboard of the tablet, of course, much faster to send a message from a keyboard than it is on a phone screen. Uh, And it's likely the place that I actually send the vast majority of my text messages. So I don't actually do a lot of them over the phone. I will read a lot over the phone because I'll see when they come in. But if I happen to have the the iPad nearby, I'll grab that and I'll use it for that. Then there's the continuity aspect for phone calls. I make a lot of calls on the tablet. Definitely, I find out most of the time who is calling me from the caller ID on the tablet screen. So the continuity side for phone calls and having all those phone calls come through the 
through to the tablet is great as well. Then there's the all-day battery life uh, piece of it. I, I generally have the tablet plugged in at some point during the day, but only because I'm at my desk for a while and it happens to be there. I'm generally uh, not uh, having to do this. I don't struggle uh, to get through a day if I don't have it plugged in. And mostly just based on what I do, it's uh, relatively light types of computing. It's I don't watch a lot of video on it during the day. So I can easily make it through you know, an 8 to 10 hour day without having to charge it up. And that's having it on most of the most of the time as well. So that works out pretty well. Uh, and then if you, you do happen to charge it up, there's a couple of great things here. So first off, you've got the same charger as your phone, especially if you're using Apple products. One charger, one cable. It's fantastic when traveling. Don't have a bunch of uh, additional chargers hanging around the house, especially if you've got laptops. Those chargers are expensive. Uh, you don't have to have one at home and then one at work and one in your travel bag and you know wherever else you, you put your chargers. So same charger, phone and tablet. Also, you get the advantages of fast charging. That USB-C 29-watt charger that Apple sells is fantastic. You can get topped up in uh, generally as little as 90 minutes. Uh, and this is something that, uh, you know, Joey, I've been talking with you about uh, for quite a while. Uh, and uh, most recently here in the conversations that we've been talking about, it's been about charging and, and you use a tablet constantly at, at as much or maybe even more than I do. And so you just picked up one of these USB-C chargers to, uh, to try out. Yeah, I did. So I've got that iPad Pro uh, uh, 10.5 and I was able to finally try it out this week and it does charge a uh, lickety split. That's for sure. It's uh gets nice and toasty warm. The, uh, the iPad does, but it, uh, I didn't really look at the time, but it's like maybe 25 minutes and I went from 20% to 80%. So it's really fast. Um, I, it, it is a really nice thing to have when you want that extra fast charge right away because what what's been happening here at home i've been swapping ipads because i still have my ipad air 2 and i just grab when this one dies i just grab the other one and that's actually way too frequently uh happening to me so i'm like that's why i decided to get the uh fast charger to keep this one going a little bit longer Generally, I find that with the screen on, it'll charge it at about 1% a minute, give or take. If you turn the screen off, it speeds it up. So 25 to 80% in less than a half hour um, sounds maybe a little bit fast, but not terribly so. And especially if the screen is not on, then absolutely it would, it would be close to that. And you got to remember, this is not nearly as big of a battery as your 12-inch. So that would be a good deal faster in percentage-wise than what your 12-inch would uh, accomplish. Yeah, that's a fair point as well. It's a bit smaller battery in yours than mine, of course, uh, as well. So, uh, but anyway, it's nice to have that, uh, that option. And, uh, especially if you happen to, you know, need to just, you know, grab a little bit of quick juice to get you through the rest of the day, you can do it quickly. And that's obviously very nice. Uh, of course, then you've got the application side, the, the lighter applications, uh, for faster functionality to get through things. Um, you know, for me, that means, uh, things like Outlook, Evernote, Safari, Word, um, I really do appreciate how light the apps are, and uh, it helps me to make the most of my time in front of that tablet screen. Of course, you've got the camera on uh, the iPad. You can uh, you know, take a photo, quick snap of something if you want to include it in an email or a note or if you're scanning a business card or something like that. Um, I actually use the, the iPad camera uh, fairly infrequently, uh, but it does come in handy when I do need to do it. Um, there's also then the easy photo attachment to emails and syncing of course, then of photos from the phone over to the iPad, of course, because you've got the stream uh, of photos that comes through. This is especially helpful if you're someone who uses uh, a non-Mac computer, I, if you're a Windows user and you don't have all of your photos synced over. Uh, it, it is amazing how impressively easy it is to be able to sync stuff through uh, when you are, have files, uh, not only, well, not only photos, but also other types of files that you want to sync as well. 
Right, and just remember, if you do have a Windows computer, uh, there is the iCloud control panel thing you can install that you can get your photos synced over, but it's not uh, its not the greatest, but it does kind of work. Yeah, that's true. And, and certainly there are other options as well. You could have your phone always upload to Dropbox or Google or something like that, but uh, to have it working in the background uh, all the time is a really nice thing, so I do appreciate that. Then there's the cloud-based file storage uh, side of things. So for me, it's OneDrive for business purposes and Dropbox for personal. Very easy to use uh, with the Office suite uh, and other applications. And once you realize that you don't need to be syncing all of your files to your tablet all the time, it really frees up how you work with that. Everything lives in the cloud. It's always accessible. doesn't hog that hard drive space, etc. So that is a very nice thing. Then there's the biometric security side. Uh, you know, you've got your fingerprint sensor to uh, to unlock the device. You never have to type in a, a passcode. That's pretty pretty handy. Uh, uh, the connectivity side of it, where you've got um, a keyboard that's there and connected to be able to use, but disconnectable. Uh, for me, it's the smart keyboard. I've lo- grown to love that. I now prefer that really over many of my desktop keyboards. Uh, that's kind of come with time, but I'm definitely there at this point. Then there's the single focus of an application or window. Uh, the abilities to multitask are there. Of course, you've got split screen, picture in picture, background audio are examples of that. But I do feel more productive when I work with just a single focus uh, to, to you know to my work. Um, a desktop can be pretty distracting. You know, I find that you know if you can just quickly click over to an internet browser, uh, all of a sudden you're down a hole of you know researching something or reading news or whatever it is that you're doing and you've completely gone off the rails on what it was that you're trying to do. So that single focus of, you know, writing an email, uh, taking notes in a Evernote or something like that, I, I definitely appreciate that. And I definitely find that to be an advantage for sure. Uh, then there's, of course, the casual browsing and reading side of things, you know, for morning triaging of email, checking in on the news, catching up from the overnight hours. Tablet is pretty much, in my mind, the best device for this task. Uh, you know, sometimes you reach over and it's easy to pick up the phone. But if you want to start really getting through things quickly, the tablet, I think, is about the best. And this is where kind of it, it, to me, it hits that sweet spot is like if there's there's nothing else I would rather have in the morning than a tablet. Um, you know, to, to, you know, go through computing types of things. So that's a, that's a great thing. Uh, and finally, uh, something I like to call walk around computing. You fold the keyboard underneath the tablet. You can walk around the office, the house, even out on the street uh, and have access to the tablet and all of its, all of its functionality. It's definitely something that uh, you can't do on a laptop. So those are the real, the, I, I, what I could come up with as the big advantages of this. And really it comes down to just a couple of main points, which is um, it's, it's lighter and more portable. And uh, it's generally faster to do things on uh, that kind of give you kind of this well-rounded experience of where a tablet can actually be a fully functioning computing device for you. Right. Uh, in in all these things, I really agree with Mickey because I use my iPad and I have for years now as a laptop replacement um, uh, for work, really. Uh, I, I At home, I have a laptop. I have a MacBook Pro here at home that I use uh, to do work, um, but I don't use it all the time. I use it maybe, maybe half the time. I, uh, recently, I've used it a, a little bit more, but not, uh, not that much because I usually just grab the iPad to do the stuff. Uh, like, for example, you say in the morning, I can do all the emails quick. I can look at the news, do all kinds of things, check all kinds of stuff really quickly, really easily. And uh, don't have to, you know, grab the laptop out. And it's just 
convenient to use. And, uh, you know, in addition to all of your things, of course, for me, I like having the, the Netflix playing on there with the, the media app, in, even in this little picture-in-picture window as I'm doing some other things. And it's, uh, it's a nice media consumption device for me as well. Well, and again, it's, you know, content consumption is still, I think, the kind of the king, you know, uh, the killer app for the tablet, if you will. But uh, as, you know, you start to think through how this device could potentially be used uh, to your advantage uh, if you're someone who doesn't necessarily need a full computer to do everything for you, uh, you know, in during your day, it's definitely, I think, worth the time to be considering. Now, uh, there are, this is not to say everything is perfect. There are definitely disadvantages, but honestly, not as many as you'd think. Uh, and especially when you consider all the advantages that we just talked through over the last 10 minutes. So the big disadvantage, the biggest one, the main one that most people will say they won't use their tablet as their main computer is the advanced functionality or lack thereof in applications. You name it, there is not an app out there that you can do as much on a tablet with as you can on a desktop. Uh, you know, it could be something as simple as Outlook or Evernote, the Office Suite, uh, Photoshop, any any of these, you're never going to find that you can do everything, all those advanced features and functions on a tablet that you can on the desktop. There's period. There's just no way that you can. So definitely a disadvantage there. Now, that said, if you can think through what the main things that you are using and say on the advanced side of things and figure out, do you need to be doing those on the tablet or can they either be, the, you know, those tasks be held off for till later till you're at a desktop or is there a way to get around them by say logging in remotely to a computer that's sitting somewhere else? Perhaps you can get around uh, that particular limitation. Speaking of remotely connecting to a Windows computer works pretty well. I do it multiple times a day. I know, Joey, you do it as well. Um, but isn't ideal uh, in certain situations. So one big one for me is that um, I do connect into a Windows 7 environment. And if you think about Windows 7, which was an operating system that is now 10 years old, uh, you've got the lack of touch support in the operating system, meaning that that, you, that UI design that they have is mouse-driven and it's not made for fingers. And so it's smaller on the screen and not as easy to, to control with a touchscreen. And uh, so you have to, you know, think about it a little bit more when you're using it. But it's still easy to connect into if you have the right software and you've got the right access. But again, it's not as ideal as if uh, you had a Windows 10 environment. Absolutely. And even that, I don't use the touch interface of the Windows 10 environment that I always connect to as well. I end up using the, the mouse cursor mode where my uh, iPad screen kind of acts as a, as a, 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 a trackpad, a trackball kind of uh, functionality. So you can actually kind of flick your finger and the mouse moves like it's got some momentum and it actually use the mouse cursor in that functionality um, for my remote desktop connection to the app that I use, which is the, the Microsoft one. However, I would I, I use it for basic things like Outlook and, and, and basic stuff, but I don't do any graphic design on that using that because it's just way too fussy. I, you cannot do graphics. You can't get, you know, real fine mouse movement that it just doesn't really work that way. Uh, so that is a big limitation that where I, I do have to actually grab the real computer out to do those kind of things. And, you know, the it's it's an easy one, uh, you know, but it's you think about like when you're doing screenshots and stuff like that uh, on the screen itself. 
Um, and even if you're using a built-in, you know, uh, say the, the screen clipper that's in Windows, um, trying to drag on the screen sometimes is not completely accurate. You're not getting the exact right size. Although if you use the, the, the cursor mode like you're talking about, it can be a little bit better. Um, I've just never gotten into that. I found that it's easier just to tap on the screen and I generally get close enough and it's relatively accurate, but it's again, not perfect. And I just find it to be faster. Right. And for me, since I don't have an actual physical keyboard, I always use the, the, the virtual one holding the control key and the shift key and the alt key and all those uh, you know things you need to do when you're dragging stuff. It, it's really difficult to do that as well. Yeah, that's a good point. You don't use it with a keyboard, so I can't even imagine what that's like. But, um, you know, so that is, I'll just say, a, a big limitation. And again, to me, this is where, uh, and I mentioned that not as like one down on the list, but one that's relatively high up on the list as far as a disadvantage, because um, it would be nice if it was just a little bit better. Uh, and, and a lot of this, too, is just limitations of what you're connecting into. But um, it also having that remote access into a Windows computer is almost like that that crutch that allows you to go tablet only for a lot of the time and not have to bring a laptop around because you can, again, log back into it and get to the stuff that you need to. There's some things that become very difficult when you are not on a physical, your company's physical network or your network that you're on, including things like network sharing access. So if you rely on a network file sharing system, you're going to run into issues here when you're not on the network. And those can be partially overcome with the VPN connectivity and certain third-party apps, but it's just not the same as a cloud-based file sharing system. And so you're going to definitely see this as a limitation to uh, to being t- completely productive on a tablet. So um, for me, the kind of the move was that that allowed this to open up and this to become not an issue was to move over to OneDrive and OneDrive comes with an Office 365 subscription. So it's not like an, it's an additional expense. I'm able to then subsequently work through uh, and attach and work on the files that I have that are within the system and also you know, upload new files and, and do everything that you need to. And it works out quite nicely. So I do appreciate having uh, a system that's built into the uh, to the enterprise software that I'm already using. Exactly. And of course, Microsoft's push is to really get away from mapped drives entirely. And of course, as we get more, uh, you know, more and more companies are kind of working more distributed where, you know, the workforce isn't really necessarily on site. Uh, and you have more remote users, of course, map drives don't make sense for that. So their push is using OneDrive and using the SharePoint, which is kind of their collaborative thing. And then the, the, the SharePoint then connects to its, uh, what the back end, you know, the, the, the OneDrive for Business used to be called Link, or not Link, the, that's the uh, uh, Skype for Business, Skype. but it's called Groove. Uh, Groove was the former name of this product. Um, uh, it, so it's like that the OneDrive, the, the shared OneDrive that it's now going through the SharePoint backend to share files and to do it that way, which of course is easy to do with the OneDrive app on your iPad as well. So that's kind of how uh, I'm uh, moving for all our files. I'm getting rid of all the mapped drives actually uh, here one by one. Uh, just recently got rid of all the, the home drives, uh, the home mapped drives that of course have been on the network for 20 years now. So those are all gone. And I'm going to work working towards the other shared files as well, moving them all into the SharePoint online. So any remote users have have equal access, equal and easy access to it, where no VPN is actually required to get a hold of those files. 
And there is something to be said for what a VPN can do and creating that, obviously, that that privacy. And, uh, you know, but when it comes to the ease of access, especially across different types of devices, um, you know, getting away from that type of structure is, is definitely nice. So, um, you know, the, the, the network access piece of it could be difficult and could be a hindrance to making uh, making the connectivity piece work out well for you. Uh, then you've got the, the limited abilities and functionality for connecting to larger screens. You can plug in an, a tablet into a larger monitor, but all it really does is just mirror that tablet screen. It doesn't provide any additional functionality generally. Plus, you have to look at the tablet screen itself and touch that screen in order to interact with the tablet. So the larger screen just doesn't feel all that useful, which I mentioned this one as a disadvantage because you could say, well, I could you know, connect up into a desktop type of setting when I sit down at a desk, but you're still interacting with that screen and uh, the, on the tablet and just it because there's no mouse support. Uh, which is the next issue. No mouse or finite control support. The Apple Pencil or another stylus does things to a certain extent, but again, it's really not perfect for, you know, if you're trying to use that device like you would with a, 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 a traditional laptop with that mouse type of support. So you've got to deal with uh, some limitations there. Uh, next up, there's some office functionality. And actually, um, it, it's not as important uh, to have full office functionality as I thought it would be. The tablet version of Word, as an example, is quite functional. It's nice to have the sole focus uh, of working on a document on your screen uh, when you're working in Word so that you're typing and, and working through what you need. Certainly, you can bring up in split screen view or flip over to something else to reference uh, something if you need it. But, um, you know, what you have in Word actually works quite well. Um, Excel is is good, uh, but if you're getting into some you know heavy formula computations and whatnot, you're going to be you know screaming to get back to a computer in order to do that. So, uh, but it does it does work quite well. So, um, but again, it's not full office functionality, so keep that in mind. Uh, and finally, uh, anything involving a lot of copying and pasting. The keyboard shortcuts are helpful, but you're still tapping around on the screen uh, to get a lot of stuff done. Um, and it's just if you're doing it, you know, more than just occasionally, it can be very frustrating. Uh, if you're trying to copy big sections of stuff, sometimes that can be uh, less than perfect as well. So um, that is, you know, one of the the, the significant disadvantages. So. Um, the kind of the, the, the culmination of this conversation is, so have I completely given up on a laptop? I think that answer, uh, question's already been answered. And of course, no, not even close. I still use a computer. I'm using one right now. Uh, things like, you know, podcast recording and publishing. It, one of the things that this means though, is that I still have a computer with me when I travel, if I'm going to record a show over a weekend and I'm not going to be home. So um, a tablet could handle the recording, but I haven't quite figured out how to transfer and import audio and edit the show the way that I do today. Um, and uh, getting a product, uh, you know, to do the same how we do it, you know, right now is just not something that I've been able to figure out, but perhaps someday. Um, there's also then enhanced or advanced, I should say, functionality for uh, things uh, in Outlook. So I've got some high-level uh, functions like setting of tasks and reminders for emails, saving in a calendar appointment over into Evernote, and then scheduling emails to send later are the big three things that I still log into a computer to do just about every day, even if I don't have a computer with me. So I, I'm a heavy tasks and reminders user. Um, and when I'm using Evernote, especially to take notes and meetings, I always go to the actual calendar appointment and save it over to Evernote. So then all the details come through and then take my notes from there. Can't do that with the tablet versions of the app. And then finally, you can't schedule a, an email for later 
from the tablet versions of the app. So you've I've got to log into uh, the computer to do that. And you know, again, not uh, maybe you're not doing any of those things, and so that doesn't mean anything to you. But again, I'm talking about advanced stuff here. Same thing with uh, Evernote. I'm on Evernote nearly as much as I am in Outlook, and so having the full set of uh, features in Evernote is pretty important to me. I like to be able to get into just about every feature in Evernote and, and I use them quite a bit. So um, that is definitely, um, you know, something that I've, again, can't overcome with uh, using a, a tablet. And then long work sessions. This is, this is really the deal breaker. Um, I have not figured out how to work on a tablet for a long period of time while sitting at a desk without feeling fatigued. It's the ergonomics, um, you know, obviously the embrace of a desktop system and that mouse interface and just how comfortable that is from, you know, 20, 25 years of working that way. But I'm just not there yet. I can't figure out how to work for, say, more than an hour without just getting really tired. And I think this is going to be just a, a, a continual limitation that's going to be very difficult to ever overcome. It is because, you know, the viewing angle is wrong for your neck. Uh, you're right. There is no keyboard. It is an awkward thing to use to manipulate the screen and use it at the same time. It is not ergonomic. And that is why uh, you feel fatigued. And that that's just something that's not going to change with it because that's what a tablet is. It's not a workstation where it's a, you know, a comfortable workstation for long hours. So bottom line here. Tablets are a great addition. They can really enhance your workflow. They can open up how and where you work. But there's a good chance it's never going to completely replace a desktop or laptop in your life. So keep that in mind. Hopefully this was helpful. A glimpse into especially my world of, of how I'm you know working today. Um, it, it is a, you know, this is not something where I said, well, I want to test it out. I'm pretty much all in on using a tablet for the vast majority of what I do. Not everything, as I've mentioned, but the vast majority. And uh, we'll continue doing that into 2018 for sure. Well, let's jump into the news. Only real one notable story here to cover, and it's a continued story about Apple slowing down iPhones. So on Thursday, Apple said that it will significantly lower the cost of replacing iPhone batteries to appease customers upset about their device's performance. They said, we've been hearing feedback about the way we handle performance on iPhones with older batteries and how we have communicated that process. And we know that some of you feel Apple has let you down. We apologize. Apple said uh, in this letter that they had posted about the shutdowns, um, the result, uh, they say, is that sometimes slower speeds on devices, such as the iPhone 6 and 6S, uh, would uh, have been shortened, uh, or the speeds themselves would have been slowed down uh, to not shorten the battery life on a product during that particular charge cycle. Uh, This would, of course, degrade the user experience. And uh, as Apple said, we would never do anything to intentionally shorten the life of any product, uh, but uh, and and also to degrade the user experience or to drive customer upgrades. But they also said that the goal has been to create products that our customers love and making iPhones last as long as possible is an important part of that. And even so, customers have felt like they've been misled over the performance degradation issue. Uh, and some have even filed lawsuits against Apple. So in order to address the concerns, the company is dropping the out-of-warranty replacement cost of batteries on iPhone 6s, 6 Pluses, 6S, 6S Pluses, and even the iPhone SE uh, from the previous $79 to $29, and that new price begins uh, immediately. 
And they said uh, the iPhone 6 and later. So it should actually cover the 7, which is they're, they're claiming they're, they've just uh, enacted this slowdown feature for the 7. And then I would imagine it'll cover the the 8s uh, and the iPhone 10. But of course, those are so new, you won't need a new battery quite yet, but you may by the end of the year. Yeah, perhaps. And again, this only goes through this price at $29 goes through December tw- uh, of 2018. So we'll see how that, uh, how that if that ultimately gets extended out or not. But um, further, Apple's going to pl- uh, issue a software update with new features uh, for the iPhone owner that will give them more visibility into the health of the handset's battery. Uh, so that was Thursday. Then on Friday, Apple issued even a more comprehensive statement and apology addressing the matter. Um, so what they said is when power is pulled from a battery with a higher level of impedance, the battery's voltage will drop to a greater degree. Electronic components require a minimum voltage to operate. This includes the device's internal storage, power circuits, and the battery itself. The power management system determines the capability of the battery to supply this power and manages the loads in order to maintain operations. The statement doesn't address any new information as to cause uh, the to the cause of the issue, but confirms the initial technical explanation of the impedance causing the battery to no longer be able to supply the sub- stable voltage during uh, those loads. But uh, we have some new information uh, also with this release about the other things that this throttling is uh, doing. So it will longer or extend out the amp app launch time. Uh, so you're going to click on an app, it'll take longer to launch. There will be lower frame rates while scrolling, so it might look a little bit more jerky. Uh, the backlight dimming, which uh, can be overridden with the control center, changes, so the backlight will dim quicker. Um, there's also a lower speaker volume by up to negative uh, three decibels. So you're talking about lower volumes uh, when you're watching things or listening to things. Uh, there's also a gradual frame rate reduction in some applications. And uh, during extreme cases, the camera flash will even be disabled as visible in the camera UI. So you won't even be able to use the camera. Uh, And uh, finally, apps refreshing in the background may require a a reload in order for that refresh to happen. So it appears uh, CPU and GPU frequency reductions are not the only things that the iOS is doing to prevent the shutdowns of these devices. Um, So we will uh, see. Apple stresses, of course, that well, it does reduce the system on a chip frequency. It preserves cellular call quality, networking, and GPS performance, location accuracy, captured photo and video quality, and operation of sensors as well as Apple Pay. So it's really just a performance of applications is what they're touching. Right. So it, it, they're definitely doing a lot here. And, you know, we kind of talked about it last week, but, you know, Apple is making excuses saying, well, yeah, we're trying to extend the life of the device. And, and they are, and that that's good, but... Uh, they obviously designed the, the the product wrong to 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 meet the expectations of the customers because so many people I know have you know iPhone 4s's and fives and they and 5s's and they they keep going because their phones last for years and years and for four four plus years on the original battery of their device uh, the device is unchanged and the battery still works fine you know maybe it's a little bit less life and and you know people are like oh yeah it doesn't last quite as long but nothing to the extent of course of the iPhone 6s here which seems to have been hit really hard with uh, with this particular issue and you know there's just been nothing but complaints and of course last year when they were shutting down they really goofed up the design and of course now it's Part of your mindset that, oh, wait, now I've got a one-year life on this battery versus the four-year because it's not a user-replaceable battery. And most people don't even think about 
there's actually a battery that's wearing out inside this thing. It hasn't really been an issue up until this point. And it's now so extreme. It's flipped, uh, to, you know, very extreme in this case. And it's just really not, um, you know, Apple's beating around the bush, you know, you know, explaining what's going on. But that doesn't change the fact that they didn't put a big enough battery in these devices to keep them, you know, they, they made them so thin. They're not big enough for the store or for the, the, the current needs of the processor they put on there. And the, the current, uh, you know, that, as you mentioned, the current needs are, um, you know, as the operating system advances and as a new system comes out in iOS 11, most recent example of this, um, you, you see this, you know, huge degradation in the experience of not only the device and how the device performs, but the, the longevity of it and how long it's going to last. And again, a very difficult uh, thing to explain to a customer. And, you know, what I've, I've talked to multiple people about this this week as this news came out and, you know, the what they heard uh, with this, you know, with Apple responding to this and then lowering the price was Apple screwed up. And they're they are now having to do this in order to make amends. They they don't under and and they don't understand uh, you know all of the technical stuff that goes into it, and they really shouldn't have to. Uh, you know we talk about it because obviously that's what we do, but uh, it it doesn't change the fact that Joey, you're absolutely right. A phone should last longer than this, and there's no excuse for a phone designed uh, to have an operating system that's going to come out a year later, and the phone not to be able to handle that and function at the appropriate level that everyone thinks it should. Right. It'd be like buying a car, and you can drive it for one year, and then your alternator needs to be replaced after one year, but they won't cover that. They'll charge you the $1,000 to replace the, ba- uh, the alternator. Oh, but, you know, but we'll just lower your RPM of your engine from, you know, 8,000 to 3,000. So you can still drive the car with that old alternator, but uh, you've got to pay to replace it after one year only. uh, And we're not going to cover that. And this is what they've done. They've decided, well, we'll just, you know, back down your horsepower here of your car and uh, we'll pretend that this, this problem doesn't exist and we won't cover this under warranty. And this actually should be warranty replacements on these batteries for completely free and not $29. And I have a feeling uh, that this may become free here in the next few weeks too. Cause I, I, I think Apple did this announcement this weekend because it's a completely slow news weekend and nobody's around to, to broadcast this news. And I don't think they want this news cycle hitting again in another month from now, like their original uh, estimate for this. So I, it's, uh, you know, I, this is not going to go away quite yet. Yeah, and it's it's a really good point that they they might absolutely you know absolutely decide, hey, we're gonna, just going to do these for free, um, you know, but it's going to be for a certain period of time. Um, you know, it sounds like the, you know, the, the cost right now, that $29 cost to me is just a, you know, like the actual cost of the battery. And they're just saying, well, we're just going to, we don't want to lose money on this, but I think they might need to, it's just a matter of how many devices are out there that they've got to estimate would take advantage of this. And, and, you know, at $29, they figure, well, we might have a handful that do. Uh, but at free, you would have, you know, X amount more. So I'm sure they weighed in the, the cost of these here to make that decision on what that number should be. Right. And it's it's also what happened last year when, you know, people were having their device, their successes shutting down uh, before during that recall issue. And all of a sudden, some people's weren't in that serial number range where they were being recalled, but their devices were still shutting off when they're at 40 percent. Uh, you know, this is why they did that patch because they all of a sudden realized, oh crap, we didn't design these batteries right. We've got to slow these things down to keep the, the devices running so we don't have to replace everybody's battery. 
Right, which even if they do get it replaced, it's only going to last for a year. Oh, one and, more year, yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's again, not acceptable, but at least it gets you through another year, and maybe at that point you buy a new device. But um, either way, um, so that's what Apple is doing. If you're willing to do the swap of the battery yourself, iFixit says that they will match or beat Apple's price. Uh, $29 uh, is going to be their price as well, and they will send you all the tools you need to get it open, to open up the, the phone it is. And uh, they have options for the iPhone 4S and, and up. Um, so you can get even some additional uh, batteries replaced uh, if you're willing to do it yourself that are not covered under Apple's new program. Right. And I one I, yeah, I bought a uh, battery replacement kit on eBay for 14 bucks, uh, uh, not an iFixit one, uh, and replaced the iPhone 5 battery. And it was actually not difficult at all to do. You, you just have to be you know careful doing it. But it was very easy to do and the device works great now. Yeah, and that's a, obviously a great thing to be able to do. It's frustrating that you can't uh, replace the battery uh, yourself easily by just pulling off a back cover, but that's the design of the phones. And you're right, not many people think about this, but that is the ultimate answer, which would be, let's just figure out a, a design that allows us to replace these batteries uh, in a much easier way. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, if you take a look at that, you know, the iPhone 5, that was a, a, an iPhone 5 that got literally right on the release date of the iPhone 5. I just had to replace the battery because it was getting down to, you know, 15, 20% and it was kind of shutting off. Uh, but that that's years and years and years on that thing. Yeah. And that's, yeah, you got that one in, I guess it would have been fall of uh, 12, right? Is when yeah. The- when that phone came out. So uh, obviously a big, uh, you know, a big jump forward uh, since then and a, a number of devices that are still functioning just fine. In the meantime, you've got a device that you bought two years ago and that f- device is not working. So that's pretty ridiculous. Uh, and to your point, not acceptable uh, when you're buying a device. Uh, well, in device news, LG Thursday showed off a new smart speaker that will be available in early 2018. They're calling it the ThinQ speaker, the first premium smart AI audio product thanks to the addition of the Google Assistant. With Google on board, the ThinQ speaker will behave like the Google Home product, performing voice-based searches. In addition to playing music, the ThinQ speaker can interact with LG's other smart home appliances, such as TVs, air purifiers, and fridges. Uh, the speaker includes the Meridian audio technology to ensure support for high-quality lossless file playback for the best sound. Uh, ThinQ's, uh, the ThinQ speaker will uh, be, sh- more information will be shared about it during the CES press uh, conference that LG has scheduled on January 8th. Google is encouraging its hardware partners to put Google Assistant went, uh, with, which first launched on mobile devices in a variety of products. Amazon has done the same with Alexa. And Google talking about wireless uh, audio or Android Auto uh, back in the spring of 2016, uh, but there hasn't been real widespread adoption as to uh, this point. You still need a USB cable to use the Android Auto service, uh, but that's about to change. Uh, JVC Kenwood has started plans, uh, stated plans to unveil a high-end head unit with wireless connectivity for Android Auto. Uh, in keeping most of the details secret so far, we do know that it will have uh, also Apple CarPlay support and a 720p screen. Most products announced at CES do not ship right away, of course. Uh, pricing uh, will uh, was not announced either, uh, and we, of course, have no idea when this is going to hit store shelves. Well, no software news this week, so on to questions and comments. Just one, and it is a voicemail from Mel. Hey, guys, it's Mel from the Midwest. Just listen to your Christmas Eve show. As usual, excellent. The last question was from John about opening uh, using Word. Well, I've never paid for Word, at least not this century. And on a PC, openoffice.org, 
It gives you a free downloadable program that pretty much does everything Word does, and it allows you to save documents in various other formats and also to create. I don't know if his device is a uh, Macintosh or a portable machine, but I'll bet you it's available for Mac also. Just a thought. Hope you all had a great holiday. Uh, bye. All right, Mel, thank you very much for the voicemail. Yeah, open office. Uh, not something that I have used in a long time, uh, but definitely have used it in the past. And, you know, one of the things I will say is, you know, f- like anything, once you get used to it, you can get this, p- quite a bit done with it. Um, I always found it to be just different enough from Word to, to be frustrating, and I just didn't, uh, I never got into it. I never, I guess, felt the need to have uh, a separate version of a program. I just said, well, if I, you know, for my personal computers, I just won't have anything on them and we'll use things like uh, Google Docs, as we talked about last week. Right. And of course, I always have access to Word. So I, I you know, I've used OpenOffice. I've tried it out to see what it's all about. Uh, you know, they, this, of course, has been, you know, 10 years. They always touted, oh, it's got Office compatibility, but it always goofed up the documents formattings back then. I, I, I don't know if it doesn't now, but uh, that was always my issue with it. Um, so, you know, I have word access to it, so I don't need to use open office, but you know, after all these years, and I think open office must be 20 years old now, they're still going and still provide a a very good alternative for, uh, you know, for document editing for a a very good price. Uh, Obviously the price is right when you look at something like this and Mel, thank you very much. We were a little remiss not to uh, mention this as a definite alternative to getting the full office suite. Well, if you have any questions or comments for us, we'd love to hear from you. Questions at the cell phone junkie.com is our email address. Our phone number for voicemails, 650-999-0524. And uh, leave us a question or a comment, anything you'd like to hear us talk about on a future show, and we'll get it on as soon as we can. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.